Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 15 The Indistinct Taste of Possibilities Part 1 Oh, for fuck's sake, why is he always so stupid out in his vines? It's midnight, and Crowley's wandering his way out to the old vines inn, the perfect place to have a fit and yell about how much he's an idiot. Everything is fine. He can't even blame being drunk. The worst part is... Their lips had parted, and Crowley had felt like he'd been hit by lightning, already half-hard in his jeans, and he'd looked at Aziraphale and thought, that wasn't supposed to happen yet. And then they'd gone inside and shared a bottle of the petite Syrah they'd just been tending, and it had almost been like nothing happened, and Crowley kind of settled into the thin line of tension in the air because they could both be adults and pretend it never happened. And then his brain caught up with, yet. What the fuck? No one knows he's out here, wandering the vines with only a flashlight and an almost full moon, wearing what he's decided are this week's pyjamas. Little black linen shorts and a thin, long-sleeved tee with grey stripes. Carrying the end of a bottle of Zinfandel and wanting to scream. Crowley, for all that he's a mess with legs and anxiety, has at least learned to be honest with himself over the last twelve years after his fall from grace. So he knows, he knows he's been drawn to Aziraphale from the very beginning. He knows they've been dancing around something physical as well. And apparently his subconscious had formulated some intricate plan in which Crowley could kiss Aziraphale and Aziraphale would kiss back and then his brain and mouth had jumped the gun. It was just a simple kiss. A few seconds of Crowley feeling like he was on fire aching all the way to his feet with the sensation of something fitting, finally, some sort of harmonizing note he'd never even realized was lacking. But it was just a simple kiss. No big deal. Friends can occasionally kiss out in a vineyard at sunset, right? Crowley is a cliché. Fuck, it had been good, though. There isn't really any question about what's going to happen. Aziraphale's a famous blogger, a member of FTA's elite cast, and he's going to go home in six, five months to his place in Los Angeles and his day job and his new book. And Crowley will not follow. He can't leave ecstasies, especially not now. He's also a fucking disaster that hasn't tried to date anyone in 11 years, and before that, 
Crowley was a different person entirely. Stringing together relationships and hookups, occasionally sleeping his way through a client, having fun with it and pretending nothing mattered. Here, in his vines, everything matters. Everything matters so much and it clutches in Crowley's chest. That being said, his brain seems to have set aside his emotional crush and fascination with Aziraphale to basically replay the kiss in a high-definition technicolor loop and Crowley's punched in the gut and lower with how much he wants Aziraphale. Yeah, the draw had always been physical as well, but fuck. To open up all of those pristinely ironed layers, to be able to taste the creamy skin underneath, to be able to hear those sounds that so far Crowley's only heard Aziraphale make for food. Jesus Christ, he's a fucking old man in his late forties and he shouldn't be getting horny out in the middle of a vineyard in the middle of the night. I hate you, Crowley says to the old vines, even as he lets his fingers trail along them. Crowley knows how it will end, but now he knows how it has started. That it has started, and he'll be damned, but there's something absolutely exciting about that. Because the thing that keeps flickering in his head is that Aziraphale had leaned in and kissed back. It doesn't mean he's going to want anything. Crowley tells the vines and the moon and the darkness of the soil beneath his feet. He turns the flashlight off, lets his eyes adjust, looks skywards. Even with the moon near full, he can still see Cassiopeia, Leo, the Summer Triangle. There's a peace to it here, even in the chilly night weather of mid-May. Soil below, stars above, and Crowley in between, as always. It doesn't mean Aziraphale will want anything more from Crowley. Maybe he's already realized that it was a terrible idea. Maybe he's already moving on. That's okay. Crowley won't push. He knows he's a disaster asshole in shades and snakeskin, hiding a rough beating heart, stars above and soil below, and nothing in between worth mentioning. He's fine. He has his vines. But if Aziraphale's interested? In some fucking slip of a thing like Crowley, all sharp angles and yelling? Crowley will take what he can get. The thought is stuttering, shuddering, and the breeze is chill across his shoulders, his bare calves. Crowley will, in fact. Aziraphale the man behind AZ fell, 
the one who's a bit naughty and a bit cheesy, the one who laughs with his entire golden body. Of course Crowley will take whatever he can get. He was out in the vines until two, and then slept in until ten, waking up with four texts from Anathema, making sure he hadn't died. Crowley's the damn boss around here, he gets to make his own fucking schedule. That's how it fucking works. But he's thrown off by it, and grumpy enough at everyone that he just considers going back out into the vines. So, of course, this is the day B comes to visit. Crowley and B have an odd relationship, as if they're friends and enemies at the same time. B is generally friendly and helpful, but Crowley never forgets that they have an ulterior motive behind everything they say. And B looks at Crowley like he's an uninformed underling sometimes, although that's also just the way B can be. Despite all of that, though, there are eleven years of business between them, and sometimes that bond emerges into friendship for a short while. Crowley cannot deal with this today, but hell, when has his life ever been fair? They're alone at the end of the tasting bar. There are two glasses in front of them, both dark red, and Crowley wonders what part of his menu they're tasting this time. It always feels like B is judging him when they show up and order something. It's just like that. Lord Beelzebub, he greets them, summoning up his most snarky grin. He's going to approach this like he does everything. Like a little shit. What brings you to my humble establishment? Crowley. B groans. We need to talk. Do we? Crowley makes a show of pouring himself a glass of Zinfandel to hide the way his stomach clenches at it. What is it? Dagon have a bad day? Somebody break a nail? B's face remains calm, calculating. You've been getting some good press lately. Crowley opens his mouth to ask what the hell they mean, and then it sinks in. Aziraphale. AZ Fell has been writing about them. Aziraphale kissed him, he kissed back, all lovely in the light of Crowley's vineyard, Crowley's own vines between his teeth. Yeah. His voice is almost stable. He really doesn't want to reveal how close he and Aziraphale have become. Or Warlock and Adam and the them, really. Oh, fuck, this has the potential to be a mess. Got to meet A.Z. Fell. He delicately pronounces all of the consonants. 
It's like meeting your childhood hero. At that, B rolls their eyes. Put your boner away, they say, which, unfortunately, makes Crowley laugh at the same time he fucking blushes red hot. The point is, this is a great opportunity for you to capitalize on here. Good press is good press, Crowley says, his tongue feeling numb in his mouth. Not really sure what else one does with it. The noise that comes out of B's mouth is some kind of buzzing scoff caught in their throat. Crowley, you really can be an idiot sometimes. Crowley huffs back at that. Fuck off, B. Say what you need to say and go. Hell, Crowley. B takes a long drink and, to Crowley's surprise, they smile. This really is good, you know. And that's the thing thing about B. They can simultaneously drag Crowley while still being the appreciative kind of friend. Maybe this is just the way they are. Ta, says Crowley. Which do you have? It's the old vines. B grins, all smirky and slimy, and Crowley laughs with some desperation. Of course bees there. He thinks about taking Aziraphale there, out in the old vines, brushing them with those careful fingers and perhaps dragging a finger through the soil to smell at the minerals within. Then he stops. Anyway, Bee continues, apparently refusing to wait for Crowley. Look, I shouldn't be here saying this, but terms are going to change at the end of the year, all right? Crowley's stomach knots up until it's the density of lead and sinks down into the ground. Terms? B takes another long drink. Look, you know there are stipulations in your terms that recognize market changes and all, right? Crowley nods. Now he's the one drinking deeply. He tries to root himself in the taste of his land, his leaves, the notes he knows are from his own soil. Well, interest rates are changing. B looks into their glass. It comes through the Fed soon, and within like six months, all the institutions are going to be adjusting out here for it. Right, right, Crowley draws. He doesn't want to let B know that he's at all concerned. He hopes they can't hear the way his heart is pounding in his chest. So, B trails off, takes another sip. There's an offer on the table. Crowley in an incredible display of mature restraint, does not throw his wine glass into their face, although it's a close call. With your publicity, now would be a great time to announce an expansion. 
an investment of some sort, put you right out there in public. They look Crowley up and down with a smirk. Maybe tempt your block friend to write about it, huh? Crowley grimaces, because fuck, it would look like that, wouldn't it? B laughs at his expression, though, and has another sip. You'd get to keep your current rates all locked in. Then there'd be a sum available on an equity loan at the lowest rates we have, payable over ten years. Crowley hums. Looks into his wine glass. Smells the aroma, sharp and spicy. No shares. B shakes their head. Not at first. As the ten-year payable unfolds, we can talk about additional options beneficial to us both. You could have just emailed this to Wensleydale, Crowley tells them. Why are you here in person? I'm here because I actually like your wine, B says, their grin sudden and sharp. It surprises Crowley into a wicked cackle and a genuine smile. Huh. Crowley knows they always have a glass when they come in, and he's seen them leave with a bottle or three, but he figured it was either the kind of thing you do when your company technically has money invested in the place, or the kind of thing B does to discomfort him. It makes him feel much better, oddly enough. God, he's such a fucking pushover, but he can't help his own reaction when somebody likes his wine. I'll get you a bottle to take, Crowley offers, for the first time ever. Hello! Aziraphale's text message reads. Is there space at the tasting bar for one more tonight? The flashback is flickering along the edges of his thoughts, and so Crowley just shuts his eyes and lets it happen. The scent of the vineyard, the calm comfort of working alongside a friend, and the shock he'd felt glancing up to see Azira fell biting at one of the shoots as if it were some sort of fancy lettuce. It had completely sidelined half of Crowley's brain. For all of the years he's been here in the Russian River Valley, Crowley's one of the only viticulturalists who does things like lick dirt and chew on his flowers. For him, it's just one more way to gather information about his vines, and the more information he has, the better he feels. But standing there, seeing Aziraphale... Seeing Aziraphale there, nibbling on the new growth, looking only curious and interested, had done something to Crody's heart. Something he's afraid is more than temporary. Those cells, those compounds, those atoms from things he grew. 
they were entering Aziraphale's body, they would become part of him, however small, and Crowley's vines would be a part of Aziraphale for a long time. He's fucking swooning. This is ridiculous. But Aziraphale's mouth had been so soft. Curious. Crowley had been dragged to it. Like a magnet, like a vine to the sun, like sliding home. There'd been a moment his entire body had lit up like a goddamned firework. Crowley breathes in his vines. He feels the soil under his bare feet. He thinks the Chardonnay might be close to flowering. It's a bit early for the Chard, but it's been warm and he can work with it. He pinches off a wayward shoot, smells it, thinks about putting it into his mouth. Always, he sends back. May seems to be a popular month for tourists, although Crowley isn't really sure why. Aren't children still in school? Maybe it's a good time for people who don't have kids. Do they have extra time off in May? What's a holiday? Crowley hasn't had one in ages. What it means is that he's absolutely in his element, as he skulks around in the background, occasionally looming over Anathema or Newt to listen to the conversation. He's always interested in how people see his wines. Not commercially, really, although B would tell him to be. It's more about what people taste when they have a sample and whether there are trends in their comments that he can identify. He's perfected looming, too. He's wearing the burgundy snakeskin boots today, with slim black trousers and his grey blazer with three-quarter sleeves over a soft black tee with a bit of sparkle. No, he isn't dressed up for Aziraphale. He's worn this outfit before for no reason other than he likes it. It isn't like he spent 20 minutes shredding his closet this morning. Not at all. He allows himself to be dragged into a few conversations. Visitors like chatting with the owner for whatever reason, even if said owner is a grumpy, twitchy know-it-all wearing sunglasses indoors. It isn't that he wants to avoid talking to the customers entirely, there are always some who are fascinating. Aziraphale. It's more that he likes staying aloof, one degree of separation. The crowd today means that he doesn't notice Aziraphale for a while. He sat himself at the table in the corner, the one he likes to write at, and has a glass of something red, happily tapping away at his little tablet. Crowley steals a moment to just look. Aziraphale looks content, pleased even, comfortable. 
he's wearing what looks like linen. Sky blue shirt with sleeves rolled up, pale trousers. There's a length of tartan fabric under his collar, which Crowley assumes is a bow tie that's been abandoned. He likes this. Azira felt comfortable in his space, peaceful enough to unravel himself a bit at the edges. He looks soft, broad, strong, like Crowley could sink into him. Then Aziraphale glances up. Crowley has no idea how the other man knows he's being watched through dark lenses, but Aziraphale's face lights up as he catches Crowley's eye. His brow smoothes. His eyes crinkle. It's a warm smile with perhaps a bit of tentative shyness. Crowley remembers those lips. But he nods at Aziraphale, feeling his own face soften helplessly, and his smile's crooked but genuine. Aziraphale takes his time, which Crowley also likes. He seems to be in the middle of something, a blog post maybe? and it lets Crowley continue to lurk like a demon in the background. Eventually, the biggest group takes their leave, opening up a number of seats at the tasting bar, and a few minutes later, Aziraphale's wiggling his way into one of them. Crowley's glad for the sunglasses. Now that he's had a taste, Aziraphale just looks delicious. Sweeter than Chardonnay, sharper than Zinfandel. He's so delightfully solid, rounded. Watcher, Crowley says, because his mouth is an idiot that can't be trusted. Hello, Crowley. There's something delicate in Aziraphale's voice. Crowley can feel it in the air. This is them, together, silently trying to decide whether or not they're going to talk about it. Crowley tips his head towards Aziraphale's glass, and the other man laughs. <laughs> it's your apocalypse, my dear. I'm treating myself today. Mmm, Crowley grins. Shall I join you? I would like that very much, Aziraphale says, and there's that tender look flickering towards Crowley and then away. The one that makes Crowley's nerves light up all over like it's electricity. Crowley smoothly moves behind Anathema, snagging a glass. Crowley, come on! and then retrieving a bottle of Apocalypse from the wall. Opening a bottle at this point is a rote memory. Crowley could do it blindfolded, standing on one leg. What's the occasion? Oh, Aziraphale says, a pleased little note. I was complimented by my boss this morning. 
Crowley narrows his eyes and says nothing. Isn't a boss supposed to compliment and support their employees? He's a right dick at times, but Crowley knows that Anathema and Newt know how much this place relies on them. Even the them, a contracted and paid service, are a part of ecstasies. It isn't his fault he expresses affection through yelling and inarticulation. They know how to translate it at this point. My numbers are up, Aziraphale adds, and whatever, fuck it, the man looks actually happy. Cheers. Crowley tips his glass towards Aziraphale's. They clink, and Crowley takes a small sip. 2014 had been a great year for the old vines. He loves this particular vintage, the way it holds so much of the sunlight in the body of it. I should tell you... Aziraphale starts, pauses, glances away and then takes a sip of the wine. Oh, fuck. Is he going to go there? Fuck, shit. What does he say? What will he do? Actually... Aziraphale continues, and there's a surprisingly teasing note to it. Crowley glances up, glad of the sunglasses, hoping they can at least distract from the blush across his cheeks. I've actually been using a little bit of your... of what you... the things you've said about growing the grapes, see? Crowley doesn't really see, but smiles hopelessly. I had no idea about the process, Aziraphale tells him, like a secret. I mean, I know about tannins and acids, and I know oak barrels and steel barrels, but the things you've been saying about how things here grow, it's fascinating. Aziraphale is looking at him with an incredible amount of awe, and Crowley doesn't deserve that at all. Mm. He rubs a hand on the back of his neck. Mm. Yeah. So, I've been inserting it, Aziraphale says. His face is wide open now, all excited. I've been putting a little bit of it into my entries and they love it. My readers, I mean. <clears throat> ah, they mean my bosses. Crowley knows that he's slowly turning pink, a flush that's going to travel down his neck and across his breast, and Aziraphale will be able to see every inch of it since his V-neck tee is cut low and very sparkly. I hope I'm not taking advantage, Aziraphale says then, and the air catches in Crowley's throat, because there's that look again, the one with all the fondness and potential, and how the fuck is Aziraphale so confident, so good at this? Crowley's already leaning in, 
Ron in... What the fuck? His spine isn't even working, right? Mm. Crowley makes a noise, manages to stop the slow descent of his entire being into Aziraphale's face. No. He manages to grunt out eventually. No, no. These lessons are for free, Angel. Thank you. Aziraphale murmurs. He's so fucking close. Crowley isn't going to say anything. He isn't going to mention it. But the memory of that brief, blazing kiss is screaming its way down his spine, trickling like water, down and down. Then Aziraphale smiles, as if he'd confirmed something, and leans back. So, dear boy, tell me about your day. If the chart's getting ready to flower, Crowley knows it's time to finish up all of the pruning and suckering he wants to do. At some point in the year, when the weather turns perfect, the shoots can grow up to an inch a day, and he wants to have all of them pointed in the direction he wants before they get there. So he's dragged Anathema and Adam out into his acres, leaving Newt and Brian to man the counter. It's soothing work. They're almost done, honestly, and Crowley's down in the Pinot Noir. These are some of his favourite grapes. They're reliable, they always predict what's going to happen come harvest, and they're very good at high yield. It's comforting. He's trying to think about Bee's offer, but in actuality, he's thinking about Aziraphale. Which seems to be the theme of his life now, for fuck's sake. He really doesn't like Bee's insinuation about tempting Aziraphale into writing something positive. If they're going to be in a... If they're going to have... If they'll be... If they're involved, fuck, kissing, or whatever the word is, it's going to look poorly on both of them. But then again, Crowley's romantic, uh, whatever, Crowley's private life isn't any of B's business anyway. Expanding. Of course he has dreams, it's just... Ecstasies always seems one small trick away from absolutely crashing, and Crowley doesn't have enough time to manage it and plan. But he has just about three acres he isn't using, and about three million ideas as to what could go there, as well as an uncountable number of smaller ideas that can suit his existing layout just fine. It isn't that Crowley doesn't have dreams, visions, goals. Whatever fucking fluffy-ass word you want to use to describe them, sure, he has them. He always has. 
B and Dagon think him stupid, but the truth is, he just doesn't talk to them. Crowley's not going to reveal a thing he wants. That creates a weakness, a vulnerability, and he absolutely cannot give a single hint of that to the people who so badly want to own him. But yes, in his own head he has plans and options and so many things he'd do if only he had something like the power of miracles and no repercussions upon doing so. The situation is far too complicated for him to follow at this point. He just has... He has to be able to take care of himself. Has to be able to save himself. He cannot count on anyone when it comes to this magnitude. Yes, sure, he has a great team. Anathema and Newt are happy to be career employees. Adam's a great protégé, Brian's installed for life. The them are wonderful, he won't pretend they aren't. But Crowley's been burnt once, badly. Having a good team around him is one thing. Crowley knows no one will be able to catch him, to save him if things fall through, if he falls again. Actually, something about it is worse knowing he has such a great team. They're all depending on him to keep ecstasies going. What Crowley lacks, what Crowley has never had, is an equal, a partner. He has no one to discuss ideas with, no one to brainstorm with that won't have an angle all their own when it comes to the place. It's fine, he's used to it, but it makes things so much fucking harder. He took a risk and was given that rarest of things. A second chance. Crowley doesn't like risk these days. Well, that's a lie. Apparently, he'll risk his fucking feelings, gas pedal full speed ahead. But he can't risk the vines. My dear, says Aziraphale, now happily perched on the tasting bar, watching Crowley close up. Are you sure you don't want any help? Crowley shrugs, grins. In the time it would take me to show you where everything goes, I can be finished, he says. Just sit there and look pretty, Angel. It comes out of his mouth casually, but Aziraphale blushes a bit, wiggling at the attention. It's a good look on him. I'm sure you've had much fancier adornments here, he says, and it's a bit sly. Is Aziraphale flirting with him? Crowley rings out the rag, wipes down the back counter. 
Well, he drawls, the apocalypse is pretty nice. You can have second place. Azzy Raphael gives an adorable little huff at this and finishes off his glass of lion's den. His eyes flutter shut and Crowley watches, yearning and desperate. He loves the way Aziraphel tastes things. His entire face gets involved, eyebrows tightening and lifting, tongue moving inside his mouth, breath held in his lungs as he enjoys it. He can't remember Aziraphel's face after they kiss. Crowley wonders what he might taste like. What can I get you next? Aziraphale's kaleidoscope eyes open. Here, in the dim light of closing, they look grey. Pale, soft, hints of a cool blue. Aziraphale's eyes are colour-changing, offset by his environment and mood. Crowley loves them. Aziraphale glances down into the bin with the day's open bottles. What else should be emptied? Crowley laughs. <laughs> you aren't here to be the <laughs> an alcohol disposal angel. You can drink what you want. I'd rather be helpful, Aziraphale says primly. It isn't like there's a wine of yours I don't enjoy. And isn't that a statement? Crowley glances over, and even though Aziraphale's up on the counter, he's somehow looking at Crowley through those pale blonde eyelashes. As if he knows what those kinds of words do to Crowley. Fine... Crowley sighs dramatically, sauntering over to pour through the bin. Here, Judith Reserve, less than a half glass in there. May as well pour that out. Aziraphale does, smug, and Crowley leans in to knock his shoulder against Aziraphale's leg. It's a quiet night. Aziraphale has come in for dinner, Ryan's cream of asparagus soup paired with a tomato mozzarella panini and had tucked himself in a corner, writing contently while the last lingering tasters left. Anathema had seemed overtired, so Crowley had sent her and Newt home with a half-bottle of honey and psalms. The them had left earlier, citing some kind of conference meeting they had with another client, so it's just Crowley and Aziraphale. Warlock is, apparently, in the middle of some sort of 24-hour online game marathon with some friends of his in Britain. And now it's just Crowley and Aziraphale and a clean and sorted tasting room. Crowley pours himself a full glass of Lilith and comes to lean his elbows on the tasting counter next to Aziraphale. He spends a moment or two staring at his hands around the glass. 
his long knobbly fingers, dirt under his fingernails, bruises on one hand and a scab across the back of the left where he'd caught it on some wire. Working hands. He's exhausted. The silence is comfortable. Peaceful. Penny? Aziraphale asks him. Crowley shrugs. He considers telling Aziraphale all about Bee's offer, about his thoughts and his plans, but... But that leads to the story about his past and about her, and he isn't quite sure he's ready to share that one yet. If you had three acres of land for vines, what would you plant? Crowley asks instead. He finds, after saying it aloud, that he's actually quite interested in the answer. Sanchiovese, Aziraphale says immediately. Absolutely. Or maybe Negramara. No, Sanchiovese, definitely. Crowley snorts. <laughs> I meant land here, Angel, but all right. He sips. Why? Aziraphale swirls his glass, looking down into it. Sangiovese is the key to so many of the classic red blends. Chianti, of course, but also Camignano and, oh, Tignanello. His pronunciations sound authentic, although Crowley can't quite place the language. Italian? French? He can barely speak English, and his voice is incredibly fond. Blend it with a bit of a Cabernet, or Bordeaux, or even a bit of Syrah. Mmm! He makes one of those noises that Crowley wants to pull from him with his mouth. You'd go for a red? Crowley asks instead. Sangiovese is a very common grape, I suppose, Aziraphale tells him. But I think it would be splendid to experiment with. Some poor Sangiovese vines can be quite intricate. <laughs> He laughs, amused. If we're dreaming, I'd pair it with a goat farm and a bakery. Fresh, crusty French bread, goat cheese and a glass of Prunello every day. I'd write a book about it and die happy. Crowley chuckles. <laughs> An entire book about one meal. Aziraphale, to his surprise, giggles. <laughs> well, it certainly wouldn't be a novel, dear boy, but the way those tastes and textures combine and reflect what they come from. Absolutely. Fresh bread deserves its own chapter. He pauses. Or maybe three. Do tell, Crowley replies, intrigued. Water, yeast... Flour and salt, Aziraphale tells him. That's all, and yet so many variations on it. He leans in to press his arm against Crowley, 
gesturing with his glass. Just like this. Wine is just grapes and age, yes? And yet, and yet... Azira fell lights up like this and Crowley smitten watching. His eyes are eager, face open and bright. Crowley considers standing up straight, placing himself in the V of Aziraphale's legs. Moving to taste Judith off of those plump lips, wine red. To taste the light of that eager smile. Sure, the name was a stupid joke about his blog, but Aziraphale's never looked more like an angel than when he gets into his element. Crowley can't help but grin up at him, crooked and broken. Something must be showing on his face, because Aziraphale glances down and blushes, his face softening out. Oh, what is it? Nothing, angel. Crowley says, and it's so full of fucking affection that he wants to die. He blinks, looks away, looks back. Can't help the way he's looking at Aziraphale now. Fuck. Nothing at all. Oh, Crowley, Aziraphale says, whispers, and then there's tension in the air, sharp and thrilling, a hot clenching in Crowley's chest. Their faces are a foot, maybe two feet apart. For them to come together, it would have to be intentional. A deliberate move on both their parts. Aziraphale's eyes flicker down to Crowley's mouth, and the unexpected hunger on Aziraphale's face has Crowley gasping, his lips parting. He wants, he wants, it's stupid, but it's perfect, and they haven't talked about it at all, but Crowley can't move as Aziraphale's hand slowly comes up to his face. May I? Aziraphale asks, soft. Crowley can't do anything but nod, and then Aziraphale is gently removing his sunglasses, setting them down on the counter with a small click. Aziraphale smiles, warm and broad. That's better, he says. Gentle. Confident. As if Crowley's eyes aren't unbalanced and odd. As if Crowley's face isn't all sharp angles and lack of symmetry. Aziraphale's looking at him like he's something incredible, some new vintage of wine he's dying to taste. The door slams open behind them and Crowley jumps. Fuck! Azira felt startling so bad he nearly slides off of the counter and Crowley yells some kind of noise that's more vowel than consonant 
and Newt comes peering around the door, looking terribly embarrassed. Sorry, he glances at Crowley, then Aziraphale, and winces in apology. Anathema forgot her glasses, tripped over a chair, hurt her ankle, wouldn't stop yelling until I came back to get them. Crowley makes himself laugh. His heart is racing, light, and he feels breathless. <laughs> well, remind her that she's opening tomorrow morning, broken leg or no. My dear boy, Aziraphale says, flashing an unreadable glance at Crowley. Is she all right? Newt grins awkwardly. Bruised, but fine, yeah, mostly angry at herself. He scutters off back to the office he and Anathema share, more a storage room than anything, and Crowley breathes in, deep, exhaling slowly over the top of his glass. I should head out, Aziraphale says, something tight in his voice. Crowley nods. Shrugs. Stretches. His heart isn't pounding. No, he's as relaxed as ever. Take anything home with you? Aziraphale's eyes are heavy on his face for a moment. Not tonight, he says finally, after a long moment of silence.